passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control. There's one thing you can control, and that's shaving. Our sponsors are Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. Manscaped is here to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Chaz, have you had any funny manscaping experiences? Okay, so here you go, Derek Riley. I used to only ever say, shave your face, right? Don't yeah, yeah. shave anything but your face because it is totally brilliant to shave your face before you razor shave with Manscaped. But I've realized women don't like chest hair either. And so I've gone south. I have gone to the chest and it's totally easy. And I mean, do you shave your chest? I, you do. I, I, I think men who shave the chest are a half men chest. I don't shave all of it. I just shave the top part that comes up to my neck. So it's like an extension of my face down, right? I leave the chest, I suppose. I misspoke. But I shave the top third, the neck portion of my chest. That's ghastly. Yeah, you get that thing where you get a little regrowth, and you see the regrowth on men, and you go, God, you actually shave the hair on your uh, your chest and your neck. I mean, neck. But I ain't going, I ain't going razor down there, so I'm just, I'm just cutting the weird fluff that grows up over my V-neck. That's it. Oh, yes, fair enough. But you could probably just trim that with scissors. It's probably a more effective experience. Are you kidding computers. me? The Manscaped tool makes it like I don't even have to think about it. I just do it in seconds, and I'm gold. <laughs> well, in fact, listeners to the show will get 20% off and free shop- shipping with the code uh, DIRTYWATER at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And you use the code Dirty Water. Please use Dirty Water because this whole thing will be pointless unless you use Dirty Water. So if you're going to do it, use Dirty Water, please. Uh, it's time to grab 2020 by the horns <clears throat> and shave. Take your grooming game to the next level. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action of bet online. Chaz, have you been betting? I haven't been betting yet, but that's only because it's so frustrating to bet here where I am so happy for easy online betting because I've always got an instinct that's always wrong. What would you be laying your money on? Oh, right now, I'd go hard on Joe Biden, to be honest. Do they bet politics or no? I don't know. I think so, yeah. You can bet Biden. I think he's a uh, probably a one and a half to one semi-favorite. I mean, I guess I wouldn't bet him. But, I'd bet uh, on Joe Biden fucking dying, dying in, uh, in the Oval Office. I'd bet, uh, I'd bet, I mean, yeah, Trump feels to me like he's, he's cooked. This is not going to be a good ad, talking about how Trump is cooked. <laughs> but how good is Kamala Harris? She's beautiful. I mean, the, the, except now she's offline. She's been derailed by the COVID. 
Oh, I thought uh, the assistant got uh, got COVID, huh? Yeah, but they're really taking her offline purposefully to show how much more responsible they are. Uh, how much she cares. Yep. And how much better she looks in Timberland boots than uh, Melania Trump, huh? I mean, my goodness. <laughs> okay, so from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. You can just spend all your money, lose lose everything you got, lose your wife's money, lose everyone's money. Okay, so head to betonline.ag to get today. AG, I guess, is Antigua. Isn't that amazing? Sweet. That's Isn't where I want to be betting. Sure, I want to go to Antigua. So head to betonline Antigua today. Uh, betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag for Antigua and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I'm Derek Riley. I'm with Charlie Smith and welcome to Dirty Water, where the splendour of athletic gifts is celebrated and where the incessant play of personality is explored. Today's guest has been described as being built like a duck and surfing like a big cat. He has been largely ignored by the ravages of ageing and is a finely balanced combination of brains, enthusiasm and confidence. He is a world champion and a runner-up to the world title, is still regarded by most as the best surfer ever at Bells and possibly Jeffreys Bay, and has a spirit that bristles with a scorching flame. He is the personification of dramatic action, doesn't care for advanced ideas, and once described himself as a little cross-dressing Italian Scotsman from Cornell. Today's guest, Mr. Mark Ocalupo. Oh, like all oh, one of my little babies will grab a piece and bring him around and hide it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so how many how many kids do you have now? Oh, every time I look at you. Um, yeah, I've got four boys. Uh, yeah, because two from my first, um, they're 17 and 14, and then I've got my two little ones. Yeah, one and three. And you, you're a stepdad to some other children too? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we've got, um, we got nine altogether. Holy fuck. Yeah, because she had five and I had two, and then um, we had two together. Yeah. Jesus. There's a lot of children. A lot. Did you ever think when you were um, 16 that you'd be the dad to nine kids? <laughs> Mate, I never thought I'd have the kids. My very first wife, um, we couldn't get pregnant. And I never, never thought I'd have kids. Now I've got nine. And Jay's the gun surfer, isn't he? He's really uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Has he got um, echoes of your style? Um, yes, even though it's hard to tell because he's natural, but, um, but yeah, there's some, he's got, uh, that kind of carb where he puts a backhand in there. Yeah, he's, um, he's ripping that, yeah. Does he ask you questions about technique? Nah. No, he don't. No. had nothing there. Nothing, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever give him advice? Um. Oh, advice you didn't will never listen to. <laughs> what seventeen-year-old listens to you? Seriously, I've never seen one. Oh, maybe, <laughs> maybe, but not mine. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I just read a great Sean Doherty profile on you from 2015, yeah. and you describe yourself as a little cross-dressing Italian Scotsman from Cornell. Yeah, he did. No, you did. Oh, that's how I described myself. Yeah, yeah. You're kidding me. No, and that your um, sisters used to love dressing up. And, yeah, they did dress me up. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so you just a little cross dressing Italian Scotsman from Cornell. Have you always <laughs> been a free spirit? Yeah, no, yeah. Um, 
Are we doing it yet, or we just having a chat? Eh? Oh well, yeah, we're doing it now. We might as well. Oh yeah, we oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Just, just sorry. Sorry, sorry. Okay. Um, oh yeah, they used to dress me up because I was the only boy, and they dressed me up. Uh, it was dresses at first, and then I, when I got too older, and I really and I and um when, when I got old, I mean when I I didn't like what I'm trying to say is I didn't really grow out of it because they'd done it since I was one. <laughs> I think I got to about three or something, and and it wasn't. It was looking a bit weird, so they got me a kilt. You know how like and just pretended I was Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> Your mum bought you the kilt, didn't she? Yeah, my mum. Yeah, it was getting too weird, so and I didn't want to take the dresses off, so she got me a kilt. <laughs> but yeah. have you always felt like a free spirit? Like you've always seemed to be a, a part. Well, from- I mean, you know, and then. I mean, it didn't really go away because then when we were like 17 and 18, we used to go into this club in the middle of Sydney called The Strand and it was like they used to have shows there, you know, like the transvestites would do shows on stage and it was one of those places. And um, can't say I actually cross-dressed in there, but uh, but I was in the establishment. <laughs> <laughs> but you, enjoy, you enjoyed it. You, you, you enjoyed the freedom. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah, thoroughly, you know. For sure, I'm totally, um, definitely, I know we're getting a bit weird here, but I've probably got a feminine side to me after having three sisters, for sure. What was it like growing up in Kernel? Kernel was so cool of a place to grow up in, like, just, you know, in Botany Bay there and, like, we could see Sydney straight across the water and, like, not far. Like, I mean, if you drove a boat over there, you'd be there in 10 15 minutes but where we were like in Kernel, like only like a around a population of maybe a thousand you know like and because the oil refinery was there but you know you never really noticed that but you know it's just a really small town that never ever got built up and it's still not really built up now and so it's a really quiet place really small school um and I grew up right in front of a national park which so huge area of um you know where the the national park meets the you know like I was I live pretty close to Botany Bay which you know like would have waves when we had a big Norris swell little waves in there and we had a place called Colonel Point which is just tucked inside of ours which everyone knows the the wave that they um had that uh the Red Bull Cape Fear uh, contest at with that really gnarly wave is which um. Please don't ask me if I had surfed it when I was young because <laughs> I didn't. I did not. But um, Colonel Point's a heavy wave in its own right. But just the place to grow up in, just with the kids, we could just go anywhere and it was totally safe and um, really quiet and uh, strong knit community. And um, and it was, yeah, cool, really cool place to grow up in. Who was your best friend when you were a kid? Uh my mate Richard Maurer, yeah, uh, a good goofy footer, good surfer, um, big strong guy. Um, used to protect me when I was got in fights because um, I was a smart ass little kid. Uh, so I had a mate to protect me. Um, uh, <laughs> um, and he, he, yeah, good surfer. Um, we grew up since we were like about two or three years old, and he lived just up the street, and we were best mates and still are, even though he's in Sydney. But um, uh, you know, we talk all the time, but um, yeah, we grew up so close, and uh, there was a few of us. There, we had a little clan. Him, 
um, and mate be, but uh, yeah, there was about three or four of us. But me and him were probably that we stayed the close, we stayed very very close till now. And um, yeah, we had a gang, a little tight gang, and and my mate Richard Mara, you know, we we my, me and Richard Mara moved out from Colonel when we were about we were still in high school our last year in well not high school even because I left in year ten. So in year ten we moved out. Can't believe our parents let us, but I don't think they had much choice. But we moved out with like three chicks um, that were that already left school in a place just a few houses back from the beach in Cronulla, and they were good times, I tell you. So we still kind of went to school <laughs> um, in that last year, and uh, I was already getting into my contests and stuff. But um, but yeah, they were good times, yeah, sure. So that would have been around 1981, 82. Yeah, yeah. What was Cronulla like in those days? Granola was, yeah, pretty heavy place back then in 1981, 82. Um, you know, there was some, you know, uh, uh, far out like Granola was a North Granola. The alley was a pretty heavy place, you know, with the front of the city met the beach. You know, there was drugs. There was that. There was a really bad, that bad drug heroin back then, which I've never really ever saw, and um, you know, I've never ever tried it. But I heard about it and I knew, I obviously could see people that were on it, you know, and um, I think I busted someone or, or just walked into a public toilet or it might have been at the pub or something and one of the, the older guys that was a really good surfer was in there um, doing that and I was, so I did actually see it. What am I talking about? Yeah, I did see it once and, um, and uh, it was pretty heavy and, you know, it's a real turn off but, yeah, some good, really good surfers didn't make it through that and um, and they were older crew, but they were heavy, you know, there was heavy crew there too, some real tough nuts in Cronulla growing up. Like, um, so, you know, like you couldn't, you know, that cocky side of me kind of went away real quick when I caught a couple of slaps in the surf and stuff for being like that and, um, you know, and, uh, really pulled my head in and, um, made me learn respect and uh, which, you know, which really helped when I went on to travel around the world and especially places like Hawaii and stuff. So in um, the great Australian film Puberty Blues was shot in, um, was shot in yeah. Cronulla and it's a great snapshot yeah. of Cronulla and Australian surfing life. But there's, there's a great yeah. moment where um, you say chicks don't surf and I believe yeah. that you're actually in the movie, chicks don't surf. Yeah. Well, it wasn't. We weren't meant to be because they were filming. They were filming a scene on the beach, and our gang that, that I was talking to you about, me and um, Rich and and uh, a few, a couple of my mates, probably about four or five of us, walked down, wander there, and they were filming. And the chick was, uh, you know, getting ready to surf, and they were filming her, and we yelled that out. Um, we weren't meant to. We were just <laughs> smart up, and I think I yelled it out, and. Um, and then the director ran to us and said, uh, or the producer or whoever it was, and said, oh, guys, can you do that again, you know? And and uh, so we did, yeah. We walked back and went forecast and did it again and we're in the movie. <laughs> what, were, what were attitudes to women like in, in, the, the, in the 80s? Um, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, chicks didn't surf back then, seriously. Uh, um, you know, there was uh, far out, there was only a couple of, Chicks and um, I don't even know. Like, yeah, especially where we surfed, I I don't even know if there was many at all or any. Um, 
you know, uh, we'd heard of Margo Oberg and that from Hawaii that surfed and surfed big waves. But, uh, yeah, it was very rare when we were young, yeah. In, this, in the same interview that um, uh, Sean Doherty did with you, he describes a moment where you lost to Damien Harbin in a junior event mm. and, then you, and then you threw your second-place trophy into the crowd, hitting your nose. <laughs> you remember that? I oh, know, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I won't deny, not, I won't deny doing it, but, um, but, yeah, I probably wasn't the best loser. I, you know, I remember at one time BL hassled the shit out of me and, at Queens in Manly one time, and I, I think I started crying because he wouldn't let me have a wave. This is way before priority. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, probably wasn't the best loser. Um, yeah, I got the hang of it later. <laughs> how how important was winning to you then? Um, I don't know. I, you know, it's it's a tough one, professional surfing and competing because feeling feel you know winning. Everyone says it, but winning feels so good and losing. Really, you know, sucks. Um, you know, if the waves don't come, it's a bit different. But if you make a priority mistake or a fall or something, um, or even if, yeah, just usually the priority mistakes, I don't know. I, even when I was on tour, I, I just wasn't a good loser at all. You know, um, probably took its toll on me, I guess. Uh, you know, I did have that break on tour, which was great, but. But yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's all going good when you're winning, but um, it doesn't make sense when you're not. <laughs> How old were you when you realised that you had something special that you knew you were a very good surfer? Because because back when you were 15, 16, 17, you were a freak, and it blew people away when you surfed. Uh, yeah, I, far out. I um, I don't know. It's a hard one to say, you know, like when you to talk about yourself surfing good, but um. You know, I don't like to say that, but you know, I was definitely around fourteen or fifteen. You know, um, you know, I started surfing young, but I probably, you know, if you ask other people, um, I probably developed a bit later. You know, saying like in the kind of early teens, rather than you know, like Nicky Wood when he was ripping at about six years old. You know what I mean? It, that wasn't me. Um, I I used to kind of be like a try and go for one kind of one move and not connect the dots as well as anyone else. But um, but yeah, I probably once I started competing, I think and against good surfers, that's when I got good. Yeah. Hey, Charlie Smith just arrived from uh, San Diego. Yeah, so sorry, so sorry for my lateness. We've been waiting for you, Charlie. What's going on? Oh my goodness! Sorry, there's a big brouhaha against JS here, Mark Acalupo. What do you mean? The, the stinking JS shop in uh, Oceanside just got tagged up. Fuck Tag- off! Get out! What do you mean? There's there's factional violence here in California. Oh why? I don't know the romata JS apparently over in Oceanside. You kidding me? Ah, it's what's happening. We're back. We're back to the glory days of California versus Australia circa 19, whenever there was factional <laughs> violence. <laughs> oh, no. Hey, can you guys still see me? Yeah, I can see you. Yeah, oh, Chaz is coming out of the darkness. Sorry. I, yeah, it's just. As long as you can still see me because I can't see you. 
<laughs> hey, so uh, Cheswood is talking about um, Ox, um, fabulous upbringing in Cornell and and uh, and in Cronulla. <clears throat> and uh, at about when he was when he was 15, 16, 17, it became, became quickly apparent that he was a freak. But he was also fabulously good looking. And I remember having a girlfriend who was just madly oh, yeah. oh, fabulously good looking and muscular and shit and suntan. And I remember there was a peak out, I think, and you were uh, naked, sort of holding the wetsuit in front of you. Oh. And, that, and, that just, and that just drove my girlfriend fucking nuts. So I've <laughs> never forgiven you. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. It was a Playboy shoot. And, um, oh, no, 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 it wasn't. It was a peak. We, yeah, we done a peak ad, but it was a girl from a Playboy magazine or something, like cover, and they got her down, someone knew her, and I had to pose with her, and I was, yeah, and I was young. It was I was going to say it was hard, but that's probably not the right word to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. around, around the same time, you had a um, you had a heat with Sean Thompson, I think, at Narrabeen, yeah. and it was um, and it was clear that you, you smashed him, and but you lost. Yeah, I did. Photo of um, Sean Thompson, who must have been you know twenty five or twenty six, and you were um, you know fifteen. Yeah, you were close to tears, and and oh. uh, do you remember that moment? I do remember that moment, yeah, clearly. Yeah, it was in North Narrabeen and um and it was, you know, good good waves and, and I really felt like I did win that heat. And um but back then it was different. You had to beat him by about three or four points to actually win because the top seeds somehow back then always they just pushed him through. And um and yeah, this was back back in the day, so I didn't beat him convincingly enough, and all I got was pats on the back, which didn't mean a whole lot. Um, got one from Sean, and he kind of knew too. He's like, you know, <laughs> your time will come or something. But uh, yeah, it wasn't. I was pissed off. Um, yeah, I remember that. Is it the, it's a classic photo. Have you ever seen the photo? Yeah. The photo in that. Yeah, the photo told everything in that one for sure. Fuck, just the look on Sean's face. He looks guilty as fuck. You look <laughs> Really oh, no, because he didn't, he wasn't doing the judging, but no. um, you know, like it was just like that. But he wasn't the world champ, but he was Sean Thompson. I mean, he's always going to get a couple of just for just for looking handsome, huh? Yeah, I know. That's what I mean. Yeah, he got extra points for his looks. <laughs> hey, I loathe, <laughs> I, I loathe nostalgia, but uh, in 1997, that fabulous Bell Skin Day, you know, yeah. the contest where they used that golf format, um, you won 55K yeah. at a G. Yeah. yeah. And Hoyo won the Rip Curl Pro a week early and got 20 Gs. So it's yeah. a classic surf history. Yeah. And I still want that as the best Bells has ever been surfed. What's, uh, what's, what's your memory of that day? Oh, that's just, yeah, pretty much my fondest memory of Bells, that whole couple of weeks. Um, uh, you know, I was staying with Steve Perry and he had me down in one of his little houses um, in Torquay that he had and it was like the old library and it was like seriously reckon it was haunted, hey, and um, had some spirits in there and uh, and this, it was just a spiritual couple of weeks, seriously, like the swells were just pure and Hoyo won and, and um, I think I made the semis or quarters that year, but um, anyway... And we stayed because, um, you know, about a week or a few days later we had the skins and, you know, all the rage was to talk about that because how much money was in it and there was a new car and 
And then, yeah, and after Hoyo's win, I we ended up in um, in uh, Lawn or just before Lawn at Wayne Lynch's house in, in his teepee playing music and um, everyone was playing music and uh, and we were just we're having this rage in this teepee. It was so cool. Anyway, and then a few days later we got the swell of like, a decade and Bell's unbelievable, six to eight foot. And we still had the whole Bell set up, like with those huge grandstands, but no one there, you know, just the locals um, to watch this, you know, or just the people from Torquay and that. And um, so all that fans, you know, they weren't full at all. And we had, and so we were just cruising in there and um, had like a whole uh, kind of, marquee to ourselves and and it was all time and and yeah and the and the yeah the waves were just epic eh? and I ended up you know taking all those skins out and um went over two days we ran over two days at those 11 heats that I won so I started probably mid-morning one morning and you know I had to you know, I make, cut my heat short because, you, you know, once you got your wave that you thought was, you know, a score, you had to claim it and come in. So I was doing that in the first five or ten minutes in every heat, coming in, getting warm, going back, doing it again. So, um, and then I had to sleep on it that night and came back and won a few more again and um, won that money in the car. Yeah, it was, unbelievable. It was an unbelievable two weeks. What emotions were you feeling when you were surfing? Because you seemed to be in an incredible flow state. Yeah, I, I don't know. I was, you know, oh, I was taking my, you know, I don't know. I just, it was all happening for me with the board. I mean, it was like a six-six deep channel bottom. That was a Rod Dahlberg back in the day, and it was going unbelievable back in the day with fixed spins in it. Just flying the board was the six year six five it was but I don't know after you know the experience in the TP down there with Wayne Lynch and some really cool people and I just brought that back. Um, every time I drive back that way, I, I, I just it seems to there must be something spiritual down there because I remember staying down there once. I surfed Joanna and came back, um, stayed at Lawn one night and woke up and the swell was just humping and I drove back with the swells all the way back to Bells and that's when I think I surfed. It wasn't an event that time, but if you ever remember, there was some footage of me in a litmus video or something and it was like 8 to 10 feet Bells, best I've ever seen it. Every time I stayed in there and come back that way, something really special happens and um, that was my skin's win and then in that other session I got down there that one other time. Why don't they do skins anymore in surfing? Why don't they really cool, Charlie? Why don't they? I know that's something that uh, it's a really good format to you know to nominate your way to come in because then you put the total pressure on the other guy. He doesn't really know what you've done um, unless you could put a huge screen up there and they could see the replay. That that'd be cool too. But back then they didn't really. That wasn't that high tech they, back then. But they could do that now. But it's a really good format. Um, the skins, yeah. They I mean, could it seems it seems like it's perfectly perfectly created for surfing, right? It is. Like, yeah. 
Better yeah. than the like forty minute or whatever heat kind well, of thing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, like back in the day when it comes to that format, you know, we used to, used to catch like the judge the best three or four waves, and now it's two, waiting for them to pull it down to one. And once it is one wave, that's what they're going to be pretty much doing anyway. Is um, you know, yeah, it's a good point you make. And uh, and money is such a powerful motivator. Five thousand bucks away, effectively. Yeah, yeah, it was five thousand away. Yeah, exactly. I mean, now it could be, you know, fifty or, or whatever they, yeah, they got. <laughs> hey, a li- a listen and part Zip's of that got day. a lot of money. Yeah, still a lot of money. Yeah, but hey, a listen and part of that day is you beating Kelly in um in your in your head and the skins. Yeah, and him um, going up the stairs and smashing his board in the competitors competitors area. Well, and then try to, yeah, and then trying to surf a left into the winky button with Tom Carroll, and then he smashed his board there. Had oh, to, had to be rescued. Yeah, well, did he? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I didn't actually know that. I, this is the first time I've heard about this story. This is great. Like twenty hours <laughs> years later, it's, it's actually in a. I've never uh, seen him rattled, but it sounds like that he was rattled. <laughs> he needed, I think he needed nine point seven three or something to beat you. He didn't have to be and, like, he was, yeah, it was the only, you know, one of the very, very rare times that I had the wood on him um, at his bells. Um, and, I mean, well, yeah, I, apart from the skins, I don't think I've had that many heats with him at bells or any. But it was good to get that rare win off him and I didn't know that he was that rattled and that makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> What's your, your, your relationship with Kelly's? Sort of been up and down and sideways. Yeah, you know it has been up and down, and um, you know, uh, you know it, you know he he told a story back in there where um, uh, when I first met him or when he first met me, and you know when I went through kind of crazy times, but he's always been there for me, you know, like um, you know I think uh, um, one of the first times um. When I tried to give up drinking, he was um, uh, he was there for me then, um, and uh, that that was great. Um, you know, and then you know, and other times I think you know when I was having um, the hard time in Hawaii for when I had to serve against Sunny for the world champ. I think he was there for me then too. Um, you know, and in all in all in you know we um, we definitely you know it was a very smart. You know, uh, mature guy, and um, and you know now, and I mean, always pretty much has been, but now we're on, you know, the same level, and uh, um, uh, well, when I'm say the same level, I mean, um, you know, as we can communicate, um, uh, and, and you know, we get on fine now, and have done for a long time, but definitely we had our ups and downs. He, Kelly, I think uh, for Kelly, you were such a big hero to him. When he was a kid, and I, and I think that's what sort of drove that relationship in the early days. But yeah, um, got a real funny story one time when I, I think I I don't know I might have um, it was a, a, a story about a karate stick or something like or something and it was I don't and I can't really remember it but um, he tells a funny story you can ask him but um, he told the story one time on a. Uh, I think it was the Swellians podcast, and I was like, it wasn't coming to me, but it might have happened. I don't say it wouldn't have because there was a, some pretty hectic days there back for me in the day. But um, you know, I apologised, and uh, we both laugh about it now. But um, but I think I might have scared him a little bit. 
Well, no. You were texting with a, with a big stick or something, didn't you? Yeah, maybe, yeah. But I don't, and it, it, was not, it was dark and it was night time and I don't really remember it. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I did apologise. I think I didn't do anything. Nothing actually happened. But, um, but yeah, but, um, you know, just, you know, on a brighter note, you know, just geez, you know, far out. Just the way, uh, you know, obviously I'm older than him, but, you know, he, he quickly became a hero of mine over – it being it, you know, um, being it the, the other way around, real quick when he um started uh surfing the way he did and does. Tell me, let's talk about those, your early days in Hawaii because um, I've heard stories you got slapped by Derek Doner at um, Hello Des Legend at yeah. Sunset, Double and, then later, and then later Ken Bradshaw bit of chunk yeah. of your off. Are those stories true? Yeah, those stories are definitely true. Yeah, very um, good up <laughs> for me in Hawaii. Lucky I kind of was used to that by growing up in Cronulla because um, for no reason really, you know, I was um, I was staying with Buddy McRae, which was uh, a shaper, uh, actual one-arm knee boarder and that could do um, surf freaking pretty big waves and, and shape and do a whole lot of things with one arm. The guy is unbelievable. Um, and he was, um, he actually was the first guy to rep Billabong in Hawaii and me and Gordon Merchant stayed with him. He had a house right on the West Peak of Sunset. My first years going to Hawaii and I stayed with him. And um, one time, yeah, I was surfing at Sunset and um, I caught a wave, um, a pretty solid wave, and then and um, Derek Dawn had dropped in on me. I knew who he was because Buddy pointed him out to me. He was a lifeguard there at Sunset. I knew who he was. Um, you know, and uh, and and um, and I was young. He hadn't heard of me yet before, and uh, I took the wave. It was one of my first sessions at Sunset, and um, and he dropped in on me. And what I shouldn't have done and didn't realise is that I kind of stayed kind of close to him because we both, you know, had to make a pretty heavy section through the inside bowl, and I got up close and 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 made it with him, and we both kind of flicked out, and he. Um, paddled straight up to me and slapped me and just goes, you know who I am? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, he me in and I came in and told, uh, told Buddy, and he's like, oh, that's Derek. You must be in a bad mood today. Don't worry about it. And um, and um, anyway, you know, I ended up meeting him and, you know, he apologised and just, you know, he was like, where are you from? And he was really good friends with Alan Byrne and um, they were really best mates, um, Alan Byrne, the shaper and really good surfer. So, yeah, so... Yeah, Derek Dorner, and then I, you know, saw what he done and the way he surfed Waimea. I used to watch Derek Dorner Waimea all by himself when I was a kid. Like, be the first one out there, huge Waimea. His guy was crazy. Um, but, yeah, that was my first welcome to Sunset. And then I got another one from Ken Bradshaw when I'd done a similar thing, I think. Um, or I think I was getting too many waves and Ken was not happy about it and he came up and bit my board. And sent me in, and um, and I like he seriously would have had fiberglass in his teeth because I had a serious bite mark out of my board, and I couldn't believe it. And um, <laughs> and yeah, and he sent me in, and like I think I came in, and Eddie Rotherham was at Buddy's house, and Eddie sent me back out there. <laughs> what did he say? Eddie said, and I was so confused because he sent me back out, and he was like, "Fuck him." 
get back out there and tell him I sent you back out there. And I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> so I'm back out there trying to avoid Ken Bradshaw at all costs. <laughs> Did you manage to avoid him? Yeah. How many, Aki, how many, how many board bites or slaps have you dished in the lineup? <laughs> well, I like, felt like doing some board bites at Snapper Rocks. Are you kidding me? Um, uh, and what else was the other question? Uh, uh, how many slaps have you given? Are you? I mean, oh, you got to be slapping left and right out there. Snapper. Yeah, no, um, you know, Fahari, I have, I definitely have my arguments at Snapper Rocks. Still do because I just, I have. Like, it just really frustrates me when people don't have etiquette, you know. Like, even if Snap is a crowded lineup, I can tell who's gotten the last wave and who's getting the waves. And, like, if someone paddles inside of you and they, like, they, when they look at you and paddle right past you and a wave comes and they think it's theirs, it frustrates me so bad. And, um, and I won't stand for it and I'll take the wave. And then they, yell at you for dropping in on them. I'm like, didn't you see? You just paddled on my inside and I can't handle that. And I still try and keep law and order in there and just go, listen, you know. But, but um, yeah, it frustrates me, but I can't, yeah, so I really slap people, but, um, and I don't like to do that. There's a lot of good fighters in Australia, but um, <laughs> I like to stay out of fight. I like to try and keep the etiquette going in the surf as, as much as possible. It's, it's funny because um, I've always thought people should be thrilled if someone like yourself or Kelly or Joel or Mick drops in on you because you get a you get a point of view of what some of the greatest surfing in the world. People should be yeah. Honest. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, you know, if, you know, especially for me sometimes it's hard, you know, with having like nine kids and like sometimes you've got an avenue, like a little window where you can surf and then you've got some guy that's been out there for hours and like, paddling inside of you and not letting you get away. And that's even more frustrating, you know, when you got that out, catch a few waves, my goodness. Um, just get away from me. Um, but, um, you know, I like, and if you drop in and someone's like angry and then you can kind of explain to them, listen, come on, man, I need a wave. I've got much time. Um, you know, usually you can talk your way out of it, but certain people just will just go, you know, you're a dick and piss off. And, um, but, um, I, you know, I don't like getting on the wrong side of anyone, but, uh, you know, when I'm out there in the surf, I want to catch waves. It makes it a lot more fun, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do, do you remember um, back in um, 87 when Richard Marsh belted you at the ASP ba- banquet and because you were so yeah. popular by them with the Hawaiians, they just loved you, that he had to get a security detail to surf the Pipeline Masters? I do remember that, yeah. It was... Um, it was back in the heyday and, I i mean, back in, like, radical times in Hawaii and um, it was an old dispute that me and Dog had. It was um, something really deep that, you know, he was angry with me over and um, I, I think it was always going to happen and it happened in a drug. I mean, oh, not drugs really, but, I mean, what it was like an alcohol abuse written after the banquet time and I didn't even see it coming. And... Um, you know, we're best mates now, but it happened and um, I didn't see it coming. I was kind of a – didn't even see it coming. And then I was, you know, I was – my two guys I was hanging out with then with was Mickey Nielsen and Marvin Foster and it just what didn't go down good at all. Um, 
the boys just weren't stoked at all. I tried to explain to them that it was an ongoing thing and it was like, like you know, it was, um, you know, it was always coming and that they didn't want to understand that. And, uh, yeah, he had to, they wanted him off the island and um, he had to go and stay somewhere where no one could find him and then he did need security to come and surf his seat apparently. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. But um, it would have been scary times. You know, Hawaii back then was um, pretty radical. Uh, and, um, yeah, it was just one of those situations where, um, yeah, it was a tough one. He was a feisty little man, wasn't he, dog? He was a feisty one, yes. So, yeah, him and his brother, yeah. Very, uh, grew up, um, their, their dad was a gnarly fisherman and they grew up tough, tough, very two Brothers, both of them very tough. Yeah, you wouldn't want to mess with them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ock, do you ever think about age, that it, that you'll be 60 in five you, years' time? Do you? 60 in five years' time? Are you kidding me? Don't even say that, Derek. I don't, even want, I don't, look to, I don't like to look a year in front, but it's like so, yes, like the life I led, like I was thinking far out. I was going to be happy to make the 2,000, you know what I mean? I was like, wow. Oh, that seems like a long way away. Will I make it when it clicks over to 2000? And now it's 2020. It's just unbelievable. I mean, you know, like time really does fly. And, um, but you know, I feel great and I feel really blessed and grateful to have had what's happened to me and, um, wouldn't change a thing. But now I'm in a really happy place, eh? And, uh, yeah, and I've got my little nook, even though this year's been really crazy and difficult. But, um, but you know, I've got my little apartment there on the beach at Rainbow and I've got all my kids and, yeah, I'm really happy. Uh, we were talking earlier about, yeah, and, um, you know, I, I stopped drinking. It's almost been three years since I've had a drop of alcohol. I'm really happy about that. That was kind of my nemesis, really. Took me a while to work it out, but... um. But just, you know, all those years in the, on the tour and that kind of, all the travelling and it kind of became a, you know, a thing that I had to get rid of, um, uh, you know, all the parties and everything. But uh, now that I have, really happy, really happy. I'm surfing so much and just enjoying my little babies and all the kids. And uh, and uh, like I was telling you before, doing jigsaw puzzles and listening to music this year anyway because... No trouble, um, yeah, but uh, but happy, yeah. So I don't know how you have nine kids and still have phenomenal hair, to be honest. I don't know how it's all not fallen entirely out. <laughs> it's funny, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean. Hold out. Yeah, yeah, I, I just, I, I'm scared to actually, now that I've got all my dreads and I've had them going for a long time now and, and I had them when I was younger and I don't want to, I'd like to cut my hair and start again, but I don't know if it's going to grow back. That's <laughs> <laughs> a scary thing. I don't want to that to you. I don't want to that way. I'm just keeping it like this. <laughs> hey, like, what motivates you to get up in the morning and go surfing? Oh, just now, you know, now that I'm not drinking in that, like because when I was young, I was such an early riser and um, and even, you know, on tour, and um, then I kind of grew out of that and um, used to slow to sleep in and I didn't know if it was the hangovers or what, but now that I don't have to do with them anymore at all, I'm, I'm up at um, 3.30 in the morning, every morning pretty much, for, 
you know, like from 3.30 to 4.30 or 5, like that's when I get up. Like I like to get up about an hour before it gets light. Now that in Australian summertime, it gets light at about 4. So, uh, yeah, I'm up at like 3 or 3.30 um, and I just want to see the sunrise and go for that early or or just whatever's happening, you know, um, I'm up and ready to go. So you were, you were one of the first surfers or some of the very few surfers who rode Snap of the Day after that um, fatal Great White attack. Yeah, I was. And um, and I copped them some flack from, I won't say who, but, I mean, they said it was disrespectful, but I didn't really understand that. I mean, I I didn't actually know the guy, but um, I think Joel did. Um, he said he was cool and, I, and he looked like a nice guy. But, I mean, I was surfing about 15 minutes before that got a wave through Greeny and, I mean, it was freaking radical what happened and heavy and totally, you know, feel for the family and him. It's just freaking like a rare blue moon. He was so unlucky. But, I mean, the next day the waves are good and, you know, every time there's been a shark sighting or not an attack but I'd like to get, you know, someone's got to get out there and test to see if, you know, if the shark's still around or, you know, just to see if it's safe and the waves are good and I thought it was my... You know, it was if no one else is doing it, I was doing it because you know, like the waves are good, and it's straight in front of my house. And I'm like, you know, someone's got to go out there, with, you know. And um, and I did. Uh, you know, I was careful, and I have been careful ever since. I've actually been surfing lately, um, because it's so rare for that. I mean, to happen, even to us to see a shark way down there at Greeny, it was weird. But um, but you know, I did surf out there for a couple of hours, and there was no one out. Um, and that was nice. It was pleasant. Uh, I was watching out for the shark, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Lucky the water's pretty clear that day, so you could kind of see what was coming. Um, but, you know, lately, you know, I, I've been surfing out at Tweed Bar, and um, it's a bit scary out there because you're out, way out where it's really deep with no one out there, so that's when you feel pretty, <laughs> um, you know, like volatile or whatever the word is for it. Or, um, uh, but um, you know, but you know, off, you know, that was just—it was radical. I don't know what you think of that, but I, I did cop a bit of flack for saying it was disrespectful to go straight back out there. But you know, I'm always in the ocean, and um, you know, and it's the sharks are out there, and you know, you got to, you know, you got to be on your game and look out for them, and you know, uh, especially lately, you know, I tell my kids and that just don't go sitting out on your own, dangling your legs down, you know, try and paddle, keep moving, paddle around, you know, keep catching waves, you know, because, you know, it's getting dangerous now, man. It's overfishing and all that stuff and the sharks are getting hungry and, you know, especially now with all the whales we have, you know, you've got to be, you've got to be on the lookout and, and, you know, always be vigilant and looking out and keep moving. Don't dangle your legs down because, you know, they get a bite of you on your leg, you know, we've got to, and take a lot of your leg, you haven't got a lot, a lot of chance. But if you're on your board and they, you know, somehow take a nip of your board, it's, you know, just get a bit of side of your hip or something, you could make it. <laughs> People do. It happens. You ever surf with a knife strapped to your calf? <laughs> Why don't more surfers do that? Yeah, no, I know. Well, such I mean, a good look anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stories where, you know, like the surfer, if they, you can see the shark coming to you and you go at it and get a punch in, you you know, like the shark will go away. But that's what I mean. You've got to be on your game. And, yeah, but, you know, I don't know about being like a crocodile Dundee and carrying a knife out there. 
Just uh, stabbing everything, fish, yeah, yeah. turtles, dolphins, <laughs> other surfers. <laughs> hey, Ock, in the, uh, in the mid-90s, I think it was, you disappeared off the scene. And yeah. I believe you sleep for 12 hours a day. And that you used to have the most fantastic dreams of oil wells on fire, old friends, old adventures. <laughs> and then one day you had a dream yeah. that told you you must go surfing again. <laughs> yeah, well, I did. I mean... I, you know, I slept for more than 12. I, I was sleeping a lot, like probably 16 hours a day, but and dreaming too, but um, dreaming a lot. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, people could relate. You know, you have a dream that feels so real that like everything's like planned out. You're surfing good and you're healthy again, but you're not because in real, you know, in real life, you, you know, you put on a lot of weight and. You can't get motivated, but you dream, and then you dream of yourself being this like fit kind of like gladiator and like tan and fit and winning contests and everything's good. <laughs> and then you wake up, and then you're not that guy. <laughs> um, but you but you think far out, but you feel like that guy, and you're like, okay, I'm I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna get back to that. Why can't I? You know, like, okay, I'm changing today. I'm gonna go for a run right now. It's like the sun's up, it's a beautiful morning. Come on, you're gonna start from right now. And then and then it happens and you do it. Do you find you have one of those bodies that, that reacts, you know, almost immediately to a sudden change in diet? And like once you stop drinking and um, eating heaps of greasy food, you seem to transform very quickly into into muscle hockey. <laughs> if I've, I've done it a few times for sure um hopefully not going back this time um, now that I've actually stopped drinking completely but um uh you know uh, you know it's um I can make a really quick transformation but you know like when I was young like I always like older guys smart guys used to say you know when you get older you know you're gonna have to work it out you know and you know, and like you just find your niche, you know, like you find a place and you kind of find yourself. And I never used to kind of work out what they were saying, you know what I mean? And then I think I kind of find that, found that probably a bit later, maybe, you know, maybe later than other people, but a few years ago when, you know, you kind of find out what works and what doesn't work for you. And that was one of them for me. And, um, you know, having kids definitely settles you down too. So, um, you know, everyone, you know, hopefully, you know, with work and, um, and if they want to, you know, finds that happy spot. And, um, but, yeah, I found it. But, yeah, yeah, it's a good thing. How important was um, Billabong founder Gordon Merchant in your life? Because he, yeah. he really supported you through those years, didn't he? Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, definitely um, so much, you know, right throughout when, um, uh when I, you know, when I left the tour back when I was, you know, kind of in that top ten and I ran away from the tour because I was homesick and, you know, like kind of partied out and I ran home and, you know, and, and didn't even really tell anyone and I had to bring Gordon. That was the first person I rang and he understood and then it just kind of went on and on and it was dragged out for years and, and until he came back and, you know, said, you know, we just, you know, you know, they paid me. He paid me all that time and just went, you know, we need you to just come back in some form so I can use you in marketing and that. You don't have to compete. And, you know, that snapped me right out of it all the way to getting back to winning a world title and, 
and then, um, you know, just helping me right through, um, you know, with really good advice too. And and um, if it wasn't for that, you know, I, I wouldn't know where I'd be really. It, it, um, you know, it would be a completely different life and I don't know if I'd be where I am now at all. But, um, yeah, but I owe a lot to him for sure. So the Billabong challenges were created by by Gordon and, uh, and was, yeah, and that helped me you back into yeah. the, to the world of surfing. Huh? Yeah, Derek, that helped me out a lot too. Um, you know, just to compete in really good waves at that time um, was just I didn't even really know what was happening because it was kind of the, just at the start of when the Dream Tour happened and. You know, before before the dream tour, we competed in some pretty average average conditions. And Gordon's was his view was put the best surfers in the best waves in the world, and and um and then the tour just you know like just turned into that. You know, so when I made my comeback, that's what I was you know surfing in you know against those guys in and in you know great waves. So it was a great lead up to it. So. So yeah, that was fantastic too. Did you ever doubt that you could come back? Yeah, oh, totally. I mean, when I was really big at one of my peak weights, um, or the peak weight when I, uh, you know, when I was married, um, in my first marriage, and when I, when I got that big, I yeah, there's no chance I would ever thought I was gonna compete again let alone you know even kind of get fit again yeah so no chance no so, so what was your peak weight well my peak weight uh, yeah i was a heavyweight for sure I, I was really big it's funny it's crazy how your body can change because um you know like now i'm back down to it's different in america i think it's like 85 kilos like you know, in between 85 and 90, but, you know, when I was young, like 80 to 85 is good for me, but I would have been, you know, 115 or 20. Like if you want to look at it as a board short, you know, I'm like size 34, but I might have been 32 when I was like really fit. But um, I was like a size 38 or size 40 board short. Nice. I was big. <laughs> and I was like at that time. I was like, because I'd get free Billabong clothes, but I was too scared to go and ask for size 40 or be shopping in a Billabong shop size 40. I was going and buying them or like getting like just loose trackies and not, I wasn't going out much at all back then. <laughs> Where did the I was sitting there, just, but I was big. Hey, Ock, where did the where did the weight accumulate? Was it all around your guts, or were you in your ass, or was it? Um... Uh, yeah, well, mainly my guts and my bum, yeah, my ass and my thighs and my gut, yeah, all the middle section, really. I mean, <laughs> just a barrel, just a barrel. Did you ass. surf good with it? Hey? I mean, could you throw? Like, would you sometimes think, "Oh man, I'm throwing so much water right now"? Definitely, while well, my sprays were big, definitely that was <laughs> the one thing. But there was one problem was catching the wave and getting up. Like anyone that can put on weight and has put on weight will know, like when you've got all that big midsection, it can be so hard to get to your feet because you're like, it's like doing a push-up with like 20 kilos on your back. And um, once I got to my feet, I was good. I could throw big sprays, but like don't put me on like a six-foot ledgy 
way because I'm going over the falls with the lift. <laughs> <laughs> so then, you know, famously now, uh, in 99, you won three events, Tahiti, Spain, Fiji, yeah. Yeah. all incredibly prestigious events. Yeah. And you became at 33 the oldest person to win the world title. The comeback of the century, you know, bugs in fucking 60 minutes, everyone called it. <laughs> what, do you, what do you remember of that year? Oh, I just, it was just a real special year. I mean, um, I can remember it pretty clearly. You know, the very first event, I, I got knocked out first round. Um, Snapper was really bad. Uh, they ended up moving the event to Cabarita. Bo Emerton won that event, I think. I went to Bells and got a third at Bells, which was was good, um, good comeback. But um, you know, uh, and then it kind of just clicked. Uh, the only other events I really remember was um, was jeez, uh, it was Tahiti. And that's when it started. Um, I was staying with Luke Egan at Manoa Drulay's house, and it was a huge swell for the start of the for the start of the event. The trials had massive waves and. Oh, and I, we'd never surfed Jopu before. It was scary. I broke my ball. I broke my, like, 7-0 back in, like, trying to surf in between the final of the trials and when it was a little unsure, scared the shit out of me, um, pulled through a wave and I lost my board and broke it. Um, couldn't leave, I found it in two pieces. Someone bring it to me in two pieces, like, about two hours later. Then we And then we got a pretty big swell during that event too. Um, lucky I had a, didn't have anyone gnarly in those mid rounds. I think I had Victor Rebus maybe, and um, oh, I had Shane Beshin who was pretty good out there. But then, um, in that was mid rounds, and then in, on the last day, it started off, uh, you know, about six foot that morning, ended up kind of three foot in the finals. But after I won that event, I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, like after a third, I had a first and then I was right up there in the ratings and, um, you know, it felt like it was going to be my year and and uh, I really felt like I kind of walked through a tunnel then right at the end of the road at Chopu and, and um, I was right walking right through like a light a tunnel into a, a world title, you know, and, and I believed it that year, you know, and then, and then right after it was Fiji that that happened for me, and um, and then yeah, and then um, a couple kind of all right results through America and Europe got me to to um, the contest. I'm glad it was it was Moondarka, but it was um, half half Unglet and Moondarka, and I got made the quarterfinals at Unglet, and then 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 they had the big swell come and. They had the final day at Mandaka, yeah, and I won. And um, and then I had a big lead, yeah. And uh, I remember that was a big party that night in Mandaka. Um, but um, yeah, the next day I woke up a bit weary, but um, but I was still was focused on that world title and uh, pretty much got straight back in a you know, um, focusing in on it. And um, yeah, and then I came home and had to spend a couple of weeks before going to Brazil. Took a good mate to Brazil and um, just had to uh, – I travelled with that, my missus a lot that year. And, um, no, I travelled with Luke Egan actually a lot that year too when we'd done Tahiti and Fiji. Um, he, was, he was a good man. He, um, we both caddied for each other through that year and, and did for a few years. Uh, so, yeah, Luke was great. And, um, and um, then, um, yeah, and it all happened in Brazil. It was a great year. Um, 
I just had to make a couple of eats in Brazil. It was done. And what was that moment like when you won it? Well, I was wild. Uh, I was remember, you know, I think it was Mick uh, Campbell, um, even Mick Mick Campbell and Mick Lowe had to lose that day. Maybe a Flavia Paderats had to lose about three of them, and they all kind of went bang, 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 and lost back to back. And uh, I was had I had already won my heat and got through to that next round into the um, round before the quarters and they lost and then it was all focused on me and um, all the cameras and everything started crowding around me and uh, just, yeah, it was, uh, I remember having that coconut in my hand and uh, <laughs> um, and then I got lifted up into the air in Brazil and it was like the coconut was my world title trophy right there. <laughs> Did you have a few coconuts that You night? still have the coconut? I don't still have that coconut. I should have kept it. Hey, yeah. I think I, I can barely remember someone like had some vodka and poured it into the coconut for me, and I wasn't saying no. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a straight. They would have ripped you, it off in customs, man. <laughs> do, you, do you ever surf? Do you ever surf Mundaka again? I had, yeah, I did. Um, because after that, we um. That was such a success, that event, um, that they ended up having a contest at Mundaka solely for a few years. Um, Billabong did it. And, uh, and I, mean, that, I remember the Mundaka years. I yeah, love the Mundaka, Mundaka years. So that was like my last two years on tour were Mundaka years. And then I went back to commentate and had a wild card in, I think, the very last year it was on. Um, and, uh, and then... I think they struggled a bit with the, you know, with the, the tides and finishing that event. Had to run a few too many heats on the backup venue at Bacchio, and then they called it. Um, but oh, far out the tour, that was a one of the most popular places, popular places for the guys. I think on tour because that little town Mundaka oh, just being so stuck, dreamy, being in there for two weeks it was just—it's like another world there. It's like seriously, it's set back in time into another world. Um, and yeah, everyone loved it. And it lights up after dark, doesn't it? Yeah, lots of after dark, and there's like a pub there. Definitely wasn't conducive to the tour. Um, wouldn't be conducive to the tour these days, but um, but um, back then, we loved it. It was yeah, it was a good party. So. What about your uh, world t- title party in Brazil? How was that? That was pretty big. I mean, not as big as people would think. Um, I remember that night. Uh, they had a party for me um, in uh, at a Mexican restaurant, but my adrenaline was so high that day that we I, I probably drank so many beers like then I wasn't even getting drunk and um and then and then like the next day I had to had a heat like with I think it was with Pettison Rosa and when I hopped on my board I couldn't paddle like I got some sleep. But I woke up and I felt all right, but I couldn't. A um, couple hours sleep, and then I got on my board and I couldn't paddle. And I paddled straight up to Pedersen and said, "Don't worry, mate, you got this." He thought I was trying to psych him out. He gave me like a mean, like death stare, and I'm like, "I laughed, just come, don't even worry, I'm useless. I can't. I won't be able to get over the tree." <laughs> <laughs> oh, sneaky hangovers are the worst. Yeah, yeah. 
but uh, you know, I wasn't definitely wasn't in that event to win that. After that, I was <laughs> I was one place I wanted to get was on that plane and go home. <laughs> so in two thousand and seven, Ock, you um, you quit the tour. What motivated you to quit? The fact that you were forty. No, no, oh, no. I mean, Derek, I, I, I don't really want the truth to interfere with a good story, but I got knocked off tour. That's the only thing. That's the only reason I quit. I wanted to. It was the dream tour. It was the best ever. I was still um, loving competing, and um, and uh, you know that whatever seven years was epic on tour. And I slowly, I had a bad year that year, and then I didn't make the um, top uh, twenty. Two was it? Yeah, or whatever it was back then. Um, and yeah, I, I was just outside the bubble, so I, I was, yeah, I was done. Those damn bubbles. Those damn bubbles. Yeah. Hop, hop back on, Ock. You got this yeah. year for sure. Trestles and steamer. Yes. Come on. Yeah, definitely. Trestles wouldn't be my um, pet event. Um, I bet you could do okay. <laughs> Yeah, I feel for those guys having to compete for world title there at Trestles. Um, definitely would favour some guys rather than others. <laughs> oh, my it's goodness, gonna, it's gonna does it ever. you think. <laughs> hey? It's going to be uh, Felipe, you think. Well, that's the first guy that comes to your mind, for sure. I mean, um, you know, it, it's, you know, as long as he's in the top five, I'd be probably, you know, your money would be swaying that way. I mean, it's. I, I just think it's a funny thing to do just having the event on the one day thing with the top five because you know like on the same hand you know if you're going to have the event on the last day at pipeline that that favors some guys too right but um but the, it favors the right guys it. let's be honest i'd rather it not favor anyone either way and let them let all the kind of accumulate to whoever's the best in all conditions i thought that's the way it was supposed to be done, and that's the way. I, I don't know if I'm old school, but that's the way I thought it should be done. <laughs> Made sense to me. Hey, it's amazing that in 2013 you're 46 and you nearly requalified for the tour. 2000 and when? 2013. Oh, was it really? Well, was that when I had Margaret's in that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You nearly oh, requalified. Such a weird year for me because it was kind of a, it was definitely it wasn't planned at all. That was when I was still commentating a bit because Billabong had a few events on tour and um, and so I was on my way to Brazil. After getting that third um, at Margaret River, I was on my way to Brazil and I stopped off in California because I think I had to do um, I had to do something there for Billabong. I actually had to um, MC the... Uh, what was it, the big wave awards or something. But, yeah, so I decided to do trestles and I got a ninth there and then I was like I was like in the top 20 or something in the ratings like or on the QS. And, I mean, seriously, like I, what I would have rather done that year was I was in Brazil commentating for the CT. I would have really loved to have gone and done the six notes down in Stacarima and maybe requalified again, which would sound ludicrous to a lot of people, but it would have been a lot better for me, you know. Back in back in that those days, I was drinking quite heavily then, and it would have been good for me to get back on tour to um, straighten me out a bit. But um, it didn't happen. I was kind of stuck in that rut, and um, would have been a good way to break out of the bubble there. But it didn't happen. But um, 
but you know, eventually, I eventually cracked it. But uh, but it was weird. Yeah, I was nearly qualifying. Yeah, it was crazy. What did you like so much about drinking? I don't know. I just it passed the time. You know, far out. One of the first things I think of is you know like. In the airport, you know, like waiting for a plane for six hours and just posting up at the bar having drinks. And, you know, I love, um, you know, my little snacks and eating chips, drinking beer. Like some of my best mates, I think Bo Emerson would call me Chips Beer because that's all I would ever do was drink beer and eat chips. Um, hence putting on weight. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I know. I mean, but I really like my, I, you know, I love drinking and, um, you know, like just, like the normal kind of way to drink would be like having a few in the afternoon watching the, you know, the sunset or the news or something on TV and that's what I would do. But once it would lead into dinner and then if it was a party and then then more drinks and then feeling, you know, eventually so bad, like, you know, like looking for a beer, like um, first thing in the day to make you feel better, you know, it's just and then, then feeling physically ill and it's just, you know, and it was doing me. Yeah, it was. It was not good. It was a bad place that I ended up getting getting to. And um, but I. But like I say, I love to drink. And um, but now I'm lucky because I love not drinking. So um, yeah. How how'd you kick it? Well, I tried a few times. Yeah, I tried. A, a third time I got it. Yeah, but um, the first two times. I kind of wasn't ready. I mean, yeah, well, my mind wasn't ready, I guess. My my mind was playing tricks on me that I was like kind of kind of even sneaking drinks when people thought I wasn't drinking, I was still kind of drinking and that's not freaking you're only fooling yourself, but but um the third time I was like I was yeah, I knew I had to do it. So I um yeah, I um just uh it felt right and then once I got over the hurdle, uh, yeah, and then I, you know, made a substitute for it, which was like soda water, and um, and then yeah, and now, yeah, it's just it's not a problem. I can go out and drink soda water instead of beer and be happy until everyone gets too drunk and then I got to go. But um, but um, <laughs> but you know, but that's all right. Too. Do you do you look at other do you look at other drunk people now and just think oh my goodness that was me <laughs> yeah, yeah no, I do I kind of do but like I and people would probably say no to me but I was like I was a nice hidden drunk I thought like I wouldn't be that guy that's like coming up rambling in your ear or just stumbling over I don't think I was that guy people might say I was but I don't think I was but um but I can see people definitely like the. I can see myself in other people that are like, you know, waiting for the bottle to open or like, or just kind of, you can tell that they're all edgy, like not wanting to be somewhere, wanting to rather be having a beer. And I'm like, yeah, that was me. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> what what feeling did drinking give you? Did you have a um, sort of a magic spot after five beers? Where that was <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It would take a few and then you'd get that. To feeling, you know, kind of good again, but like you feel so bad that it takes you a fair few to feel good again, and then, and then the more that you have on top, and then the hangover is always going to catch you. No what? It's always going to get you, and the more you prolong it, it's the worse it gets. So, yeah. I thought I beat a hangover the other yeah, day. Hangover, it'll always get you. 
I totally I thought I beat it the other day by starting early. It didn't work. <laughs> it <laughs> chased me people. down at 4 p.m. It's done. Hey, hey, Ark, what are the most yeah. important lessons you've learned in your life? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously that's one of them, you know. Um, you know, and, you know, it's, you know, and it, it was, and I don't regret it, you know. Like, I had a great I had my time drinking and that, you know, and, and um, you know, now it's time to enjoy not doing it. Um, uh, that and um, being patient, you know, um, patience, I've learned. Just through traveling and competing, and um, you know, and surfing in general, just I guess you know, I learned patience at an early age. I think all surfers do because we're all waiting for waves, right? <laughs> You've got to be patient. Um, what else have I learned? Um, I learned respect too at a really young age. I think it's really important, and I and I wish kids would learn that more than they do. I think you know it's. T- you know, hopefully it'll come around again, like kind of a fashion thing that kids will learn respect more. Um, That's sort of on you, though, going out and biting boards, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, but, yeah, apart from that, um, you know, just learning to be, yeah, um, yeah just try and be nice person, yeah. Be kind, be kind to one another. Is that what Ellen says? Even though now that that went all weird for her, and I don't watch that show anymore either. But oh, you've got to learn to forgive Ellen. <laughs> yeah, tell, I've got to learn to forgive Ellen, don't I? Yeah, I do. I do. Hey, what's how do you, uh, how do you discipline your kids, Aki? Um, geez, it's not easy, Charlie. I mean, you know, Jay's seventeen now, and um, you know, it's kind of I don't no matter how you know. Yeah, I, I don't know, like, no matter how dad, cool you think your dad is, I think, because I thought my dad was pretty cool even though he wasn't a surfer, you know. He was, I thought he was totally looked up to my dad, but, you know, but do you listen to him? I mean, you don't really, do you? I mean, I think I did more than Jay does to me, you know. Uh, it's tough, you know. He wants to run his own race and, um, and uh, yeah, I can't answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I got a I got a seven year old, so I'm just oh, looking yeah. for any yeah. kind of advice that I that I can get. It's not easy, hey. I mean, you know, like it's funny when they're one, when they're one and they're three, they just want to be exactly like you, and when they're for turn fifteen, sixteen, they want to be not like you <laughs> <laughs> or not around you. <laughs> Did you ever think that you that people would be seeking fatherhood advice from York? <laughs> no. No, yeah, and no, I probably aren't the best person to ask, but I do have a lot of love for my kids, and um, that's all I give. And uh, yeah, and um, as weird and as funny, I mean, as weird as I am, not funny, sorry, but people think I'm funny, but I don't know. <laughs> but um, you know, I'll just be me and uh, and, and give it love, and that's all I think I can do or need to do. Hey, Oki, thank you for today. It was lovely to chat. Hey, boys. Pleasure, hey? Pleasure. Really nice talking to you guys. Beautiful. Yeah, stay safe over there in America and um, and uh, Charlie and yeah, and boys, um, all the best down there in Sydney. Hope you have a good summer and you're out of that um, lockdown, aren't you now? Yeah, we're, we're free as birds, mate. Free as birds. I'm going right back in, Derek Riley. I'm going back in. You going back in? You going back in? You're. I mean, I'm going back in for sure, but you are too. We're, we all are. We've never been locked in. 
for free oh. as birds. Are you, are you guys going back, back into lockdown in America? No, not here. Not in, in free North County, San Diego, where the only victim of any violent crime is JS Surfboard. Is that for real? Aside, I mean, just, somebody just tagged up JS's Oceanside Warehouse. Oh, did I really? Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Get the fuck out, Oz. Go home. Did that? Oh no, I'm gonna ring dead right now. Yeah, we're we're back to factionalism. I'm gonna ring dead right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, Doc. Okay, now it's boys. You have a good Merry one. Merry Christmas and everything. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.